Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. G'day fools, I'm Motley Fool Chief Investment Officer Scott Phillips and welcome to another Motley Fool Stock of the Week. The increasingly popular, I'm pleased to say, series where we bring you one stock once a week from one of our Motley Fool services. Fools, let me introduce to you one of the newer fools in our team, but an absolutely gun investor, Trevor Machedzi. G'day, Trevor. How are you, mate? Hi, Scott. Good day. How are you? I, I'm exceptional. Well, thank you for joining us, mate. Before we get into this particular stock, um, our listeners and viewers are going to have to hold on for a couple more seconds. I want to just quickly set out the lay of the land. If you've been watching this video series, you'll know exactly, listening to it, you'll know exactly what I'm going to say, but it's important that I say it anyway. The three rules for stock of the week. The first is... It is a current Motley Fool buy recommendation at the time of recording. Now, we are long-term investors. I'll get to that in a second. But, of course, we do reserve the right to change this recommendation because the internet is forever. Uh, You may be watching this video in months or years into the future. It is a buy at the time of recording in the middle of 2021. So that's the first thing. Second thing, we are long-term investors, as I mentioned. So, of course, while we say it's a buy, we're saying it's a buy for the long term. We make no predictions or have no idea what's going to happen over the next day or week or month or even year. We're looking out three to five years, maybe even longer for some of these recommendations. So we're not promising or expecting immediate returns. If we get them, that's fantastic. We're not expecting them. Uh, third one is this is general advice only. This is not personal advice. And as always, we provide ideas of stocks you can buy. We provide education, information, insights. But it's up to you to work out how and whether it pertains to your particular personal situation. If it does, fantastic. If it doesn't, that's okay too. And if you're not sure, go and see a licensed personal financial advisor to find out exactly whether this information is right for you. All right, Trevor, that's important, but it's out of the way. I'm super excited, mate, because this is one of the more recent recommendations here at The Motley Fool. In fact, it's bought out of the service that you run with Kevin Gandia called Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. The company is Setire, C-T-T. It was a completely brand new idea when you first bought it to The Motley Fool Universe. Maybe you can just give us a quick download. What exactly is Setire? What does it do? Thanks, Scott. Um, it's quite interesting because this this company, uh, this stock, Setire, CTT, which we're going to talk about today, is actually becoming a Battlefield stock. And I love Battlefield stocks, right? Because uh, the risk-reward matrix is just compelling. But um, just to give you a high-level overview, so Setire is a fast-growing personal luxury goods e-commerce company that operates okay. a 3P marketplace connecting customers to distributors and wholesalers of luxury products. You know, I'm talking about Gucci. I'm talking about Burberry. I'm talking about Dio. So this company, what it does, right, like any other 3P marketplace, Satire does not hold inventory. What it does, it does is, is that it acts as an aggregator, aggregating demand and then connecting the customers directly with the, with the distributors and wholesalers most of whom are based out of Europe. Now, Scott, the reason why I say this is becoming a battlefield stock is that there are two nuances that's really, really uh, interesting about this company that I want to, I, I just want to highlight up front. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, Satire does not have a relationship with the brand owners, right? So it doesn't have okay. a, a direct relationship with the brand owners. What it does is, right. is that it has contracts with the, the distributors. And we'll do a deep dive of why this is an important distinction. And then secondly, Satire, unlike other 3P marketplaces, like its biggest competitor, which is Farfetch, uh, based out of Europe, Satire does not handle the f- fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens is that it only connects the customer directly with the wholesaler 
who then mm -hmm. take up the role to do uh, the fulfillment of the orders. Now, these two distinctions have a very profound effect around the business model, and they've got a, a really profound effect around the scalability of this company. But I mean, we'll do a deep dive and we'll then go into, into why it's like that. That is a fascinating insight, mate. Um, you, you've, you've set up beautifully. You've got us on the edges of our seats, mate, which is exciting. So <laughs> a 3P marketplace or a third-party marketplace, as you say, it kind of sits on the outside and does the matchmaking, right? It simply says, okay, well, yeah. you want luxury goods, you sell luxury goods. Rather than going to try and find it for yourself or trying to organize, you know, where do I go? What do I get? How much do I pay? Who do I buy it from? Setire kind of make the whole thing easier. So let's go to Setire in the first instance. They will organize the marketplaces for you. Um, problem solved effectively and, and it's you know it's not ebay but ebay might be maybe the, the the most similar example i can think of that everyone will have had use of you're a potential customer there are potential sellers on the other side i can spend all day every day trying to find desperately someone who's going to sell beanie babies or trading football cards whatever you want to go with um you know or i can go to ebay and find a whole lot of them there is it is that a, is that a reasonable analogy not perfect but is that a reasonable analogy as to what setai does as a, as a third party marketplace Definitely, Scott. I think you've put it the, 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 the right, exactly the right way, right? It's, it's, it's essentially a matchmaker between customers uh, looking for personal license. But I think the most important um, point that probably we should highlight around Satire, which goes back to the first mm. point that I said, is that it does not have a direct relationship with the brand owners, yeah. right? So yeah, right. what happens is that now, if you are sitting in the US or in, in UK, right, and you're looking mm -hmm. for the latest Gucci bag and you type Gucci, it comes up, number one, is the, you know, is the most cost-effective destination to buy a Gucci bag. Now, this is right, quite interesting okay. because this is quite interesting and profound because, because Setai does not have a relationship with the brand owners. It mm -hmm. has got more autonomy in terms of like setting prices. Right. Because okay. if you think about it, like luxury goods are what they call Veblen goods. So normally the brand owners like to keep a high price, right? Uh, yes. So that the, <laughs> the products feel exclusive. Now, on Setas part, because they don't deal with the luxury brand owners, they've got much more freedom around how they set prices. So if you look at the top 20 products that are sold in Setire, they are about 20 or 15 to 20% cheaper on Setire than you can find them on Farfetch. Mm -hmm. Because Farfetch di deals directly with their brand owners, whereas Satire deals with the, uh, with the wholesalers and mm, uh, mm. distributors. But I like the analogy. It's definitely a matchmaker. So what happens is that if your customer goes on Satire and they order a Gucci bag, um, the, the, the nice thing about the platform is that they've managed to link the front end, which is the customer order, you know, front mm. end of the platform. And that has been linked directly with the inventory management of the number of uh, wholesalers and the d distributors that provide ah, nice. you know the the actual end item so what happens is that mm. if you order something on satire right and you and, and you go then you order a gucci bag what happens in the background is that it goes to let's say five or ten or twenty uh, wholesalers in europe and then it check number one who has that product in store and number two mm. who has it like at the cheapest price and then it matches you based on that and then is that wholesaler will then send the item directly to the end customer. So it's it's a it's a bit of a different model compared to what mm -hmm. we know, let's say with Farfetch, where it it deals directly with the brand owners, and then the brand owners have what they say around what sort of price points Farfetch uh, list all those products that is listed on their website. Nice. Now, mate, we normally go into the risks a little bit later in our conversation, but I, so I, in a past life, I worked for a company, an alcohol company called Diageo, and they ran a, a running battle 
against what they called parallel importers, people who would bring Diageo alcohol into Australia from outside Australia, again, probably at, at more reasonable prices, cheaper prices. Now, these were distributors, not, not, not direct-to-consumer brands, but the idea was kind of the same. Someone would get a, a, a container load of Baileys, Irish cream, for example, out of Netherlands somewhere, bring it to Australia for a cheaper price in Diageo was selling locally and undercutting the price. And Diageo desperately hated that. I'm not giving away any trade secrets here. They, they really <laughs> desperately tried to avoid that happening because it undercut their own profit margins. I'm I'm curious as to how the brand owners feel about their distributors effectively undercutting them and doing what the brand owners themselves don't want to have happen. Is there a risk here that the brand owners find a way to shut, not the business down necessarily, but shut down the supply or the, the flow of goods on that same basis because they want to maintain that brand premium? Yeah, Scott, you have, you have nailed it, right? That, that is one of the biggest risks for this particular business yeah. model, right? In that there's a risk of supply shutdown from the brand owners. But the, I think, I mean, if, if we just take a step back and you look at Farfetch, uh, the luxury goods industry is quite different, right? In that you have got very few brand owners or very few companies that own a lot of brand. So there's a little bit of a supplier concentration in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, the personal luxury goods item. You have got Louis Vuitton, the LVMH group. They own, you know, probably half a dozen or even more of those brands. You've got, you know, Caring Group. You've got, you know, Richmond Group. So you've got like your top 10 personal luxury big companies. They own probably, I mean, off the top of my head, 80% of, of this brand. So it, it, right. it, so if you're a company, if, if you're setting up a company like an e-commerce company like Satire, it gets very difficult on day number one, right, to deal with the brand owners because of supplier <laughs> uh, concentration. So if you look yeah. at Farfetch, their history with Farfetch back, I think it's late 2000s when they started. They also started with the, with the wholesalers and d- distributors. Mm. And then over time, they started gravitating towards having personal oh, relationship okay. or direct relationship with their brand owners. And we are seeing this with Satire, right, in that when they started off, I mean, this is a 2017 company, so it's quite really, mm. really quite new. But now we are seeing because they are gaining scale and they are running at a revenue run rate around 100 million Australian dollars per year. We are seeing that now they are growing to a stage where they will start having at least initial conversations with the with the brand owners, so that then that risk we believe in the long term will be will be mitigated. Get more motley fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. Let's get back to why we like the company. So, look, you've, you've painted a, a fantastic picture of the business, what it does, how it does, what it does, what its points of differentiation are. They're all interesting factors. You can have all that stuff and still be a terrible investment, though. So, obviously, you guys reckon this is a market-beating investment. That's what we're looking for at The Motley Fool. That's why we recommend companies. What is it about Setire, do you think, at the current price and the current position in the market? What makes it a market beater over the long term? Well, Scott, I can think of probably three or four reasons. Number, but I mean, the first one is <laughs> <laughs> the first one is the personal personal luxury goods uh, industry is a five hundred billion dollar industry. Wow. So, Scott, that's massive. That's a massive a industry, five hundred billion, <laughs> and it's growing at five percent. And it's growing at five percent per annum. Now, if you take a step back, right, the luxury goods industry historically was designed for in-person physical store type of shopping experience where you get you know a luxury end-to-end customer experience but what we are seeing now is that as the millennials and the gen z you know gain purchasing power 
we are seeing this trend or this shift towards you know them being comfortable in terms of buying luxury goods online mm. so today mm. right today the penetration for personal luxury goods sits around 12% right which which uh, which i mean if you if you do if my math is right that equates to 60 billion in terms of uh, the total addressable market for satire Right, now, if right. you extrapolate this, right, and the, com- uh, and the market is growing at 5% per annum, and if you extrapolate this five years out, you're, and then you're looking at, a, so two things, number one, the market is growing at 5%, number two, the penetration of online is also growing, and, and it's expected mm. to move from 12% in mm. 2020 to 30% in 2025, that's more than double, that's more than 2x the growth. Now, if you overlay these two factors, the market or the addressable market for satire is going to jump from $60 billion to $190 billion. So, Scott, this is a massive market. And right now, mm. satire, like we said, is running at a revenue run rate of around $100 million per year. So they are barely scratching the surface. I mean, this is almost like 0.2% mm. in terms of market penetration. So there's just a massive runway, and we believe that this company is placed, you know, placed quite nicely to, in, in, to capture some of that value that will be created in the long run. So that's the first mm. thing. The second thing that we lack is that they've got such a scalable business model, right? Because they don't, because they don't own the inventory and also because they don't do the fulfillment, Satire is a company that's running at a $100 million revenue run rate, but only with 40 employees. Wow. Only 40 employees. And, and of those 40, it's amazing. And of those 40 employees, yeah. only one, I think if, if my information is correct, it's only one or two people that are, involved in the fulfillment. So what this shows is that you've got a business model that can scale without the headcount, you know, the required headcount. If you look at Farfetch, right, which is the biggest competitor, almost half of their headcount is in is in fulfillment. But if you look at Seta, they only have one or two people at maximum. So it's a scalable business model, which means that the company can actually move to adjacent verticals like what they call hard luxury, which is like your watches. Mm-hmm. And they can do that without any increase in headcount. And then you can see that the economics will stack up nicely and the profitability margins can, can really explode for this, uh, for this company. So I, I think those are like the, the, the top two. And then mm-hmm. the last point, probably why I really like uh, Seta is that They've also have got a very, very scalable supply side, right? Right now, they have over 1,300 brands that are listed on their platform, selling close to 160,000 products. And they Mm -hmm. add almost 2,000 SKUs every month. So if you think about e-commerce or marketplaces, right, if you've got a scalable supply side, you become the destination of choice for consumers that are looking to discover, you know, new products, new brands, new styles. So they all go to Satire. And we can see this right, because Satire, uh, the company itself was built on the Shopify platform. And if you look at the Shopify rankings right now, as of today, they are the most, they are ranked number one on Shopify, um, Shopify ranking up from 16 last year. That just shows you the amount of traffic or volumes mm. that are going to this company as millennials and, and GZ. They look for luxury products that are that are, let me say I say I, I like to call them the the affordable luxury 
right? So this is this is this is the best platform that is placed to capture that value. Those are some remarkable stats, mate. You've, you've done, a, done a very thorough job of outlining the opportunity. It certainly sounds pretty impressive. Um, we mentioned one of the risks before about the, the uh, supplier relationships and potential risks of maybe the brand owners putting some pressure on the distributors or trying to somehow change the way Setai does business. Are there any other risks that come to mind that our viewers and listeners should be aware of? Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, I mean, I like it. It's, it. I like the company. I like, but there's definitely there are risk. Um, the second risk I can really think of is that um, so when the company was started, which is 2017, so I mean, it's a four-year-old company. It was built on the Shopify platform, right? So, mm-hmm. and Shopify platform is is a very effective platform when you are starting out. Mm-hmm. But if a setter grows continuously, grows, you know, we see that the company, right? cannot continue running on the Shopify platform and they would have to transition at some point to their own t- technology stack, you know, that is more robust, that can enable them to, you know, um, t- to handle the traffic and to handle the type of uh, business um, or, or, or volumes that they'll be, they'll be dealing with. So mm-hmm. that would, to me would be, would be like the second risk. And then in terms of, um, I mean, right now, in terms of valuation, I mean, the company listed uh, at around 50 cents in December 2020, and within six months, up almost 400%, or slightly over 400%. So we think yeah. valuation right now might be a little bit stretched, right, in mm-hmm. the short term. But as you said, we are long-term investors, and uh, we believe that in the long term, uh, it, will provide, it will provide for a good investment opportunity. Beautiful, mate. Thank you very much. Before we get to the elevator pitch, just a reminder, if you're listening to this on the Motley Fool Money podcast, you can also see it in all of our glory or, or lack thereof on YouTube. Go to the YouTube, go to Motley Fool Australia. You can like and subscribe to these videos and get notifications when the new ones drop. If you're on YouTube watching this, don't forget you can go to the Motley Fool Money podcast where this episode is streamed in audio once a week. All right, Trevor, let's go to the uh, the elevator pitch, mate, the 30, 60-second summary of why you think <laughs> Setire is a buy right now. Why our, why our listeners and viewers should be buying shares? Why? What is the buy case for Setire in, in about 30 <laughs> Well, Scott, if you've got a company that is growing revenue at 330% year on year, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's an exciting company. And if, if you've got a, such a company that's growing that fast, it's also very profitable. Again, that's an exciting company. If you look at some of the operational metrics, for example, if you look at the conversion rates, which means the people that are going on the website and converting to become actual buyers, that is growing at 29% year on year. I love those operational metrics, Scott. If you look at um, the average um, spent per order, it has grown up from about uh, 690, I think in December, to something close like $750 per order. So every operational metrics within the common score that we look at is pointing in the right direction, right? So I believe that, um, you know, this provides just a compelling uh, risk-reward opportunities for long-term investors. I like it, mate. Compelling was exactly what I was thinking of that I was going to summarize. You've, you've taken some of the words right out of my mouth. Maybe you've done a perfect job of summarizing it. So there you go, Phils. I told you it was a gun. That's Trevor Machezzi with Setire, C-T-T by recommendation from Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities. Well, thank you, Trevor, and thank you, Fools, for listening and for watching. Don't forget, you can jump on the socials and follow us all over the web. Trevor, you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle, mate? Uh, yes, got on Twitter. So it's Trev, which is like T-R-E-V, and then Muchezi, yep. which is my same name, M-U-C-H-E-D-Z-I. That's my Twitter handle. 
There you go, Trevor Chesi on Twitter. You can follow The Motley Fool on Twitter and Insta on the same handle at The Motley Fool AU. You can follow me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. If you're on Facebook, jump on The Motley Fool's page, The Motley Fool Australia, or my page, Scott Phillips Money. As I've said before, you can subscribe to The Motley Fool Money podcast. Jump on your favourite podcast app, whether that's iTunes, something on Android, or the listener app from our friends at Southern Cross Osterio. And, of course, make sure you do like and subscribe to The Motley Fool Australia's YouTube channel. We're revitalising it right now, and this particular series is, at the moment, the centre point of what we're trying to do to really give it some extra traffic and give you guys some extra value. The Motley Fool Australia on YouTube. Like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Make sure you do that so that you get notified as soon as these episodes drop so you don't miss a thing, including exciting companies like Setire brought to us by Trevor. Well, thanks, Trevor, and thanks, Fools, for watching. Until next time, full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.